You're listening to a sermon from Pastor Caleb Gordon of First Baptist Church of Cedarville, Kansas. We pray this message encourages and blesses you this week. If you'd like to join us to worship in person, we meet every Sunday at 11 a.m. at 418 Monroe Street in Cedarville, Kansas. We would love to see you. Find out more about us online at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Cedarvale First Baptist. If these messages bless you in any way, please consider giving to help support the ministry at First Baptist Church. Our mailing address is First Baptist Church, Cedarvale, Kansas, P.O. Box 456, Cedarvale, Kansas, 67024. If you have a Bible, go to Acts chapter 9. We're going to dive. We've take, we took a break over the holidays. Um, out of the book of Acts, and now we're back into the book of Acts. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 9 today, so we're diving back into uh, study of this book. And I'm just, as I, as I was going back over my notes and looking back over, you know, goodness, it was in September, or no, October when we were back there. And so I was looking back through what we had last touched in October, and so I um, looked through that. And man, you, you see in, in chapter 7... Uh, and in chapter 8, you see the, the, the death of Stephen and, and this massive assault against the church. And, and many are thrown into prison. Many are thrown in, into all kinds of torment and tribulation. And, and, but this is the thing. During those seasons, when tribulation hits, the gospel seems to be more prevalent and more um, attractive during those seasons of of tribulation, we see stories like the Ethiopian eunuch who gets saved, um, and just over and over and over again. When persecution comes, the gospel shines brighter and brighter. The darker the world gets, and that's the reason I have hope. The world feel I know we look at the world; it feels dark, but man, this is the this is the season and the time that God's created us to be in. Amen. Like God's given us a spot to play, a place to play. And this is the beauty of the gospel being right here, right where we are. Even when it feels dark, God's still on his throne and God's still in charge. Amen. God's still in, in, in command. And so this is proof that God does what God wants to do. And so moving into Acts chapter 9, we're going to see something incredible. Because at the end of uh, chapter 7 and 8, you see the stoning of Stephen. You see all these things happen. And there's this guy that gets introduced at the end of seven. And his name is Saul. Saul is the guy they hand the coats to while they're throwing rocks at Stephen. And he's rocked to sleep. Okay. A couple of you got that. That's good. Those that didn't get that, check with those that did. But uh, you see this, this, this persecution that just breaks out on the church after the stoning of Stephen. And there's just this massive assault on the church. But don't ever count God out. Because God is in the business of changing people's hearts and lives. Even when we think there's no way that guy could be saved. There's no way that girl could be transformed. God could do it. Amen. God can do what God wants to do. And so we see this, this incredible thing take place, and it's proof that God does whatever God wants to do. And this is what's so amazing about the gospel, is that Jesus can change the lives of anyone. So we're going to start in the text in verse 1. But Saul, nine, chapter, Acts chapter 9, verse 1. But Saul, he's still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And he went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogue of Damascus so that if any were found belonging to the way, men or women, he might 
bring them bound to Jerusalem. So, that first little bit there that we read, there is this insane thing that's taking place in the text here. Um, He has, like Saul has access to things. This wasn't something that could happen in this day. You couldn't just walk into the high priest. You couldn't just walk in and be like, hey, I'm here to see you. Like that wasn't something that you could just do. You had to have some clout. You had to have some influence. And, and, and Saul has this. He has access to power, wealth, and influence in the Jewish religious structure. And, and, and to say that he hated Christians was an understatement. I mean, just, we, we, you know, in the last several years we've talked about ISIS and how they kill Christians. In this day, Saul was the equivalent of ISIS in that day. Like he, he did his best to stamp out the name of Jesus and his followers. I mean, this is, if any are found in the following the way, that was, now would I see that? Anybody watch The Mandalorian? I, it's just, this is the way. I just think of that now when I see it, this is the way. And so I, I see, I think of this, he says, anyone that is found in the way, that was what Christians were called, those who belong to the way, the way of Jesus, the way of Christ. Those were those who did that. So Paul's still breathing these threats and these murders, and it's just this, this thing that happens, and he's just doing all of this because he cannot stand this Christian. And here's the thing, just like those in ISIS think that they're doing God a favor by eliminating Christians, Saul thought he was doing God a favor by delivering up these Christians and putting them in prison and killing them. He thought he was doing God a favor. And so to be able to do this took some power and credibility. You didn't just simply walk into this office and do it. He did this because he had power. And that his desire was to destroy the early church and he wanted to kill the followers and stamp out the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and like, honestly, that's the, that's the desire of the world. They look at what we're doing here this morning, that we sing songs like this. Why do you all do that? What's wrong with you? Why do you sing songs, to, uh, as my, friend, my atheist friend John says, uh, you're Sky Daddy. Why do you do that? Why do you? Because those that are following Jesus, the scripture says that the cross seems foolish to those that are perishing. But those that have been redeemed, those that have been reconciled, this is life. This is life everlasting. And so the sin nature of the world is at war and is, is at odds with the purity and holiness of God Almighty. And so the desire of Saul was to destroy what he viewed was a threat to the Jewish religious structure. That, I mean, listen, that's the reason Jesus died. He came in and he turned the religious structure on its head. All the religious people of the day said, man, this guy is out of his mind. He goes and talks and hangs out with sinners. How dare he? Hey, he does things that he shouldn't do. And everything doesn't seem to flow the way it's supposed to flow. It flowed the way it was actually supposed to flow. But in their mind, it didn't. Right? Jesus was upsetting the delicate balance of their religious hierarchy. But you see, that's what Jesus does. In a worldly environment, he desires to take out what is at odds with his kingdom. Like, I'm going to tell you something. There's coming a day when his kingdom is going to be established, and there's nothing the world can do to stop that from coming. It's it's going to happen. 
God's kingdom will be birthed. God's king, like there's nothing we can, there's, you can, we can plan, the world can plan and do all the things it does. But what does God do? Scripture says that God laughs at man's attempts to stop him. It's just, it's just funny. So, we'll, we'll see this unfold in the story of, of Saul here in just a few minutes. But Saul's on his way to get, he's got permission from the high priest. He got a permission slip from the head teacher. And he's heading to Damascus to imprison and kill Christians. And when he woke up that morning, his goal and his desire was to carry out what his flesh wanted to do. Just like so many of us, before Christ, we had one desire. To fulfill our fleshly and worldly desires. And then Jesus steps in. Oh, Jesus steps in at just the right moment and just changes the trajectory of our lives. Now, we'll keep going in verse uh, 3. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and fall, and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, I want you to notice something in verse 5. Saul realizes he's dealing with something that's otherworldly. This isn't like me and Jamie having a conversation. He, he's not, I don't look at, I mean, she doesn't call me Lord and I don't call her Lord. So it's just, I mean, I mean, do you want to? No, okay. And so what does he say in verse 5? He goes, who are you, Lord? Capital L. So he understands that this is divinity this is something that's stronger than him this is something that's more powerful than him and then jesus says i am jesus whom you are persecuting can you imagine the the pit that just hit his stomach at that moment just oh uh oh Uh, uh oh what have i done and Saul does not enter into a theological or, phys- or, or philosophical debate with Jesus. He doesn't get in there and start arguing. He doesn't argue with him. He bows his knee in submission. He falls to his knees in submission. You see, many who claim they are atheists will one day no longer mock the things of God. They will not grimace at the mandates of Jesus. They will bow their knees and they will have no other options or avenues to do anything else. Scripture says that at one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. That means everyone. Adolf Hitler, Genghis Khan, Caleb Gordon, you, all of us, every human being throughout all of created history will bow their knee at the feet of Jesus and say he is Lord. Now, for some of us, that's going to be a great thing. That's going to be like, yeah, I've been waiting. I've been waiting for that one. Let's go. Jesus, you are, you are Lord. You are Lord. And then there's going to be others. Oh, Jesus is Lord. They're going to say it, but they're, man, it's, it's going to, they're going to, Oh, but they're going to say it. There will be a day. They will acknowledge Jesus for who he is. But by that time, it'll be too late. And there's not going to be mercy for them. Now is the time we live in mercy. Now is the time that we live in grace. That's when we, now is the season and time when we need to find the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ to be sufficient. Amen? 
Now is when we need to approach his throne, pursuing him, knowing him, wanting to know him. This is why it's vital for us in these moments to bow our knees to him in repentance. We are currently living in a time of mercy and grace, where grace is freely meted out to those who would believe. Saul doesn't argue here, though. Jesus tells him what he is going to do next. Look at verse 6. Jesus tells him, but rise and enter the city and you'll be told what to do. He didn't go, well, what, what am I supposed to do? Really? That's what you want? He goes, no, just get up, go into town, and I'll tell you what you're going to do next. And the men, now this is the thing that's trippy. Verse 7, the men who are traveling, he's got an entourage that goes with him. The men who are traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. That's going to cause you to freak out. Like you're walking, and all of a sudden, you hear this big, boomy voice, Saul, Saul. What? Chuck, did you hear that? I did, Sam. And so, they didn't see him. So Saul rises up, verse 8. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So he led they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight. He neither ate nor drank. Imagine what he's just experienced. A cheeseburger is not the thing on his mind. He's just experienced. He's still probably processing and thinking about imagining. Just imagine being in his place. The things, the conversation that just took place. The encounter that just took place. All that he's done this entire time is he's persecuted Christians. He's tried to stamp out the the name of Jesus. He's tried to hurt those that are in alignment with Jesus. And he's just completely gut shot at the idea of what has happened. For three days, he can't see anything. He, he, He can't even fathom. He's not eating or drinking. All he's thinking about is Jesus has just in just come to me and work things out in my mind here and process things that just like he's left to to ponder what he's been doing and how the lives that he has oppressed in the name of his God he's been against the actual God of the universe the entire time the idea that he is sinful and a betrayer of Christ is referred once again in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 15 Paul, Saul, same guy, he declares that he has come to the world. Listen, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 says, He declared that Christ has come to the world to save sinners. How many amen to that one? Anybody in the room? Okay, good, got a couple of us in here. He's, he's come to save sinners. And Paul says, to which I am the chief of sinners. Think about that. In his mind, he's, I, I'm, I'm the most sinful. He's not boasting, listen, I'm the best at this. I'm an amazing orator. I'm a great preacher. I'm a great apostle. Blah, blah, blah. What does he say I'm a great of? I'm a great sinner. I am a chief. I'm the top. And think about his life. Think about who Jesus redeems all through the scriptures. Guys like David. Murderer and adulterer. What does Jesus do? Redeems and reconciles and calls him back. Moses. Guy's just a... He can barely talk. God uses him mightily. God takes what we view as a mess and turns it into a miracle. Amen? 
The things that the world views as a mess and just junk, God takes and says, that's not junk, that's treasure, and I'm going to change it into what I want it to be. Man, this is good stuff. And then we continue to see in the text that, that a disciple named Ananias, God tells this guy to go find Saul and lay hands on him and this is what I think is hilarious because the people say, how many goes, if God could just tell me what to do, I'd do it better. Well, the text here says otherwise. I wouldn't, know, I wouldn't have to doubt as much if God had just talked to me audibly. Well, God talks audibly to Ananias and Ananias begins to argue. <laughs> like, think about this. God begins to tell him this and this is proof that if God would speak to us audibly, then we'd, we'd, have it, we'd still struggle because we're sinful. But this man finally obeys, and the Lord will see Saul transformed. So verse 15 says, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry out my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my sake. So Ananias departed and entered the house. Now, I want to go back because I want you to see before we get into this that this, that this guy named Ananias, he knew who Paul was. Like Paul was a famous guy in the church world because they knew him as the guy that's killing them. And so he's saying, are you sure about this, Lord? You sure you want to, you sure you want to save this guy? I, we've heard about this. I've heard about this guy. And so this disciple... Named Ananias, the Lord said to him, in a vision, he said, here am I, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise up and go into the street called Straight, into the house of Judas, and look for a man of Tarshish named Saul. And behold, he is praying, and he has seen a vision of a man named Ananias come, and he's going to lay hands on him, and so he might rise or, and regain his, his sight. But Ananias answered the Lord, I've heard from many about this man how much evil he has done to your saints. You sure you want to do this, Lord? He's tearing up your saints. You, you sure you want to do this? And here he is. He has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But that's when Jesus said, go. He's mine. And I'm going to use him mightily. And so he finally relents. Ananias relents in verse 18. And immediately he goes and finds him. In verse, I'm sorry, verse 17. And enters the house and lays hands on Saul. Look what he calls him. Brother Saul. So this brother, his brother's been redeemed. He's been reconciled by the God of the universe. He says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me to, so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. And he rose up and was baptized and then taking food, he was strengthened. Now, I want you to see this. There's a couple things here. He, God can choose to do whatever he wants. That's number one. God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants. Proverbs chapter 21 verse 1 through 2 says... The king's heart is a stream of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills it to go. Every man has what is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. You see, 
You might have plans. I might have plans. Saul had plans. But then what really matters is what God's plans are for your life. When God enters the equation, everything changes. Amen. When God enters into the equation of your life and my life, everything changes. So what happens to Saul is he's immediately saved. He's immediately transformed. And the visual of his eyesight regaining has a twofold meaning here. Yes, he did get his sight back. But the scales of his eyes and his heart fell off and he could see everything clearly. He could see the world around him clearly, but also he could see who the Lord Jesus Christ was clearly. And whereas before, he couldn't see who Jesus was before. He was the enemy. And now what has happened is Saul has moved from an enemy of God, Romans chapter 9, or Romans chapter 5, saying he's moved from an enemy of God to a friend of God. I made amazing analogy there, huh? Beautiful story that God can take an enemy and turn him into a friend. Ooh, that's good stuff. The scales fall off. And this is echoed again in Ezekiel 36, 26. It says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit and I will put it within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I'll give you a heart of beating flesh. God takes what is cold, dead, stoniness and replaces it with a heart of beating flesh. The Lord Jesus changes the heart from stone to flesh. It's what he does for every single redeemed human being. Every one of us, according to Ephesians chapter 2, have a stone cold dead heart. And Jesus is the one who comes in and he revitalizes, he transforms, he pulls us back in and makes us new. As as Gino said this morning, this is comfort. Where can you go? Where can I go out of his presence? He's always there. Now, if if I'm in the middle of sin, amen, that's a problem. Man, if you're following God's way, it's a beautiful idea. That God is present with us. He removes the heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. Transforms and changes our lives. So regaining his sight, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he arises. Look at this. He arose. He doesn't go immediately. You know what? That cheeseburger does sound good. Let's go ahead and do that now. He says what? I need to get baptized. Let's go. I... He gets baptized. He's being obedient to God's calling in his life more than his fleshly desires. Think about it. If you haven't eaten or drank for three days, I mean, if I don't eat for a couple hours, I get hangry. Amen, kids? All right. Just, wow. But he, he, doesn't, he doesn't rise up to go eat. He arises and he gets baptized. Food wasn't the priority. Being obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ was his priority. And we see that all throughout the beginning at this point, his life turns towards being, I want to follow Jesus regardless of what it costs me. And oh, does it cost him? Oh, does it cost him? He's shipwrecked, beaten, stoned, bitten by snakes, persecuted by the church and by the world he's thrown all over the place this is just one example of how God's decrees are not dependent upon human beings in order for them to be completed 
Like, think about this. Saul was not, he wasn't looking for Jesus. Not like that. He was looking to stamp him out. But Jesus says, I got another plan for you. God does what God wants to do, and he will save who he wants to save. And we don't get to say, well, I don't know. Like, listen, there's a story in the New Testament where they gather and they have a debate over who could be saved or who can't be. Church folks haven't changed much. (laughs) Right? They have this debate. Can they be saved? Can they? I don't know. God can do what he wants. God doesn't come down and say, Caleb, before I do this, can I, I was going to check and see if you're okay with me doing this. Has he done that for you? God doesn't come and check with me and say, hey, I'm going to do this if it's cool with you. He just does it. And we get to glorify in his name. This is, this is good news that everything is dependent upon him. The sovereignty of the Lord Jesus Christ is a gloriously warm blanket to sit in. It's a comforting thing to sit in. I, I love this quote by um, C.H. Spurgeon. I, I meant to read it earlier, but I'll, I'll do it now. Spurgeon said once, Salvation is the work of God alone, and it is he who quickens the soul, dead in its trespasses and sins, and it is he who maintains the soul and the spiritual life. God can save whoever he wants, and he never has to come ask us for permission. Isn't that good? Because, man, if 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 it was dependent upon me and you, this thing would be a mess. Amen? If this thing was dependent upon Caleb Gordon to keep moving forward... Oh, you guys would have a problem. But thank God it's not. Thank God it's not. Because he does what he wants to do. And he took this religious elitist and transforms him into the most ferocious evangelist the world has ever seen. And he writes the back half of the Bible. So don't think that God can't do something through somebody that knows no way. That guy's an idiot. Well, God takes idiots all the time and turns them into just smart people and he takes what's what we think is smart and makes it child's play amen he takes what we think is is supposed to be you know this big huge whatever and god turns it into whatever he wants and does whatever he wants for this stuff and this is the beauty this is the 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 gospel is the good news that Jesus came and he died for sinful humanity and he was raised three, day, three days later out of the grave for our justification so that we can stand in front of God Almighty and be justified, not because we're good, but because we're forgiven. Amen? Come on now, that's, that's good stuff. So we're going to stop there this morning and we've gotten to, to verse... Where are we at? See, this is what happens. 19. So he's... he's He's eating. He's getting strength. So next week we're going to start up and see what happens. I, as I read this, I didn't know this, but you'll find out that Saul, Paul, is discipled directly by the Lord Jesus Christ. He has a season of life where he is just taken away for, taken out for a while, and the Lord Jesus Christ teaches him. Talk about a good teacher. <laughs> Imagine Saul the murderer gets a special education course. From the Lord Jesus himself. That's the reason he called himself an apostle. Because he was directly connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, so good. But yeah, this is my hope for us as we see see these things. We say, how does this apply for me? 
God can transform and change your heart. If he can change Paul's heart, he can change your heart. If he can change my heart, he can change your heart. And all we have to do is just say, God, I want to be faithful to know who you are. I want to follow you and be in your presence. Be in your presence. Amen? Like, that's what we're called to do. So, this morning as we end this thing, I've been doing this a couple times, but I I just want us to stand together. And we're going to sing the doxology together as as we end out the morning. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Love you all. Have a blessed afternoon. You've been listening to a sermon from Pastor Caleb Gordon of First Baptist Church of Cedarville, Kansas. We pray this message encourages and blesses you this week. If you'd like to join us to worship in person, we meet every Sunday at 11 a.m. at 418 Monroe Street in Cedarville, Kansas. We would love to see you. Find out more about us online at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Baptist. If these messages bless you in any way, please consider giving to help support the ministry of First Baptist Church. Our mailing address is First Baptist Church, Cedarville, Kansas, P.O. Box 456, Cedarville, Kansas 67024. God bless you.